Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey. Monica O'Hanlon Production. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Do you prefer like ISKCON or the Hare Krishna movement? Is there a preference there? Uh, we usually split it between the both. Uh, ISKCON is the official sort of corporate sort of name. Hare Krishna movement is basically what everybody knows is by, you know? So Hare Krishna movement is fine. Hey, thank you so much for joining me for episode two of Dying With Mon. My name is Monica O'Hanlon and I'll be your guide as we journey through different religions and movements and look at their ideas of life, death and what happens next. This week I am just thrilled to be speaking with Brahmin Priest and Communications Officer for ISKCON Australia, Bhakta Das, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. I knew a little bit about the Hare Krishna movement, but coming out of this conversation, I had a whole new outlook. Now, before we get started, I should state this was recorded before Victoria came out of their strict lockdown. Bhakta is based in Melbourne and there are a few references in there, so just keep that in mind. Also, this is a teeny weeny bit cheeky, but I thought I'd slip it in here at the start. If you are enjoying this series so far, a rating and a review would be much appreciated. It helps get this little show out there, so I would be so grateful. But enough dilly-dallying, let's get into it. Here's Bhakta Das. We're a branch of Hinduism. Basically, we're Vaishnav Hinduism, which was formerly known as Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So the name comes from, you know, the Hare Krishna movement comes from uh, the chanting that we do uh, because devotees repeat that over and over again you know so that's where it comes from started in the 16th century by a Vaishnava saint or we see him as an incarnation of krishna as lord chaitanya mahaprabhu in bengal and his dates are 1486 to 1533 so it was at that time of the renaissance in the west so time of change was also happening in India at that time. Now he emphasized the worship of Krishna, God, and the chanting of the names of God, which was so powerful that in addition to benefiting one's own meditation, uh, they would also benefit anybody that hears the chant. So he espoused going out and chanting to everybody, and that was for their benefit. So uh, hence you see us chanting in the streets around the world, you know, chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. So that's, that's basically. Then it was brought to the West uh, recently, uh, only about, well, 1966, so uh, over 50 years ago by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. So he came to the West, started off in New York, it spread throughout the world, and you can see devotees in public dancing and chanting pretty well on every street, and that's our trademark, the chanting and dancing in the streets of different places. Now, it's not different from any other religion in that uh, a misconception that people have is that all Hinduism is, is uh, multi God, worshipping a God in many ways, uh, whereas actually we're monotheistic. Uh, and so it's the same as Abrahamic religions, we worship the one God, we just have a different name for God. And um, if one wants to join the Hare Krishna movement, nowadays we're trying to move into a Western concept. Uh, uh, if one wants to join the Hare Krishna movement, you take initiation, you were asking about Diksha, you take initiation yeah. from a spiritual master, but in, in the same token, you have a Diksha Guru and you have a Shiksha Guru. And these are men and women that will guide you and help you along throughout your life. So that's basically the history of it. Now we have something like, I think, around about 80 uh, Gurus, Diksha Gurus, but literally thousands of Shiksha Gurus, instructing Gurus all over the world. 
Amazing. And, and every country in the world, every country in the world have the Hare Krishnas there somewhere. Uh, even in China, uh, Russia, Russia, it's huge in Russia. And really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's growing so fast in Russia, uh, growing very fast in Africa. In China, it's also growing, but it has to be very much controlled and, you know, um, it's a bit clandestine, but still the government knows about us. But as long as we're not political, they're quite happy to let people do yoga and chanting and that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting, especially why it's so big in Russia. That's, wow. <laughs> Very interesting. If you don't mind me asking, um, Bakta, how, how did you get involved with the well, movement? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've always been a sort of a spiritual seeker, even when I was a kid. And when I left high school, I very much wanted to become a priest in the Christian tradition. Uh, my parents brought me up as a, a Catholic. Uh, I was very interested in the lives of saints at that stage as a young boy. And when I left high school, I had an opportunity to actually go to the missions within New, in New Guinea to become a priest and work with missionaries and that kind of thing. And I thought that would be a really way, nice way to serve God. Uh, when I got there, I was 18 years old, and when I got there, it actually shocked the hell out of me because they weren't exactly following what I thought was a Christian sort of ethos. You know, they were, unfortunately for an 18 year old, I couldn't get my head around the fact that people had alcoholic problems, that people weren't true to their faith in so many different ways. They treated the indigenous people so poorly. Uh, they were exploitive. And so uh, as soon as I could get out of the place, I did. And I did a fine arts degree, came back to Melbourne, did a fine arts degree. Uh, I'm a painter and artist. And uh, became basically atheistic. Uh, my parents were very upset, you know, you were so into religion and spirituality, what, ha what happened to you? And I said, well, you can have your religion, it just, it doesn't make sense to me when I see people acting in the name of religion the way I saw that being done there. As much as they tried to convince me that not everybody is like that, Still, as a young man, I just thought, this is enough for me. But the desire for spirituality never left me. And so at this stage, I, I, a friend of mine who was a really great guy, we played basketball. I'm six foot five, so I played basketball in my youth, uh, who played basketball with me. And he also went to this art college, this university studying art. He was one year ahead of me. Uh, he, he was the best looking guy. He had the best girlfriends. He smoked the best marijuana. He was a really good artist. So I, I, I thought this guy was just the bee's knees, you know. So anyway, one day I was doing some sculpture at, at the university and, um, and he walked in and he looked radiant. And I said, what are you on? You know, whatever you're on, I want some of that. You know, you look fantastic. He'd sort of cut his hair and he, he looked really really smart, you know, and I thought, wow. So he said, oh, I've started meditating. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, no, I, you know, George Harrison and the Beatles and everything, they've gone over to Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and they you remember, are you, uh, no, you wouldn't, uh, but you might have heard of, you know, the Beatles went to India and all that kind of stuff and became really involved in meditation. They asked Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr are still meditators to this day. Anyway, so I thought, wow, that's it. So that day, I found out where he learned to meditate, started meditating, became a vegetarian, and then I started inquiring about all different faith traditions. In the 70s, we had gurus coming from all different traditions. You know, it was really the time for gurus, you know, so I went to see every single one of them. I just, you know, and... Um, Anyway, I, I stayed with Maharishi for three years. I did a lot of programs with him, and uh, but he never gave the full essence of spirituality. And I couldn't find it really for me in any other faith tradition. I started researching Christianity again. And anyway, then we went to the Haris every now and again, not on a full-time basis, but just basically to go and get some food, you know, because they made fantastic vegetarian food. And at that stage, vegetarianism was just like, 
if you went to a restaurant or something and you said you're a vegetarian, you'd get a bowl of steamed veggies and that was it, you know. So <laughs> they cooked these sumptuous vegetarian meals and, oh, that was so good. So anyway, we used to go to some of their lectures and everything, but we were still practicing this other meditation technique. Then one day there was this uh, very senior devotee. He preached to my wife and myself and said, you are really a follower of Lord Jesus, and you've been a follower of Lord Jesus for your early part of your life. If you really want to follow the teachings of Jesus, with the principal teaching, teaching being love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you should be following this process of bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is the yoga that we teach at Krishna consciousness because that's dedicating everything because Krishna consciousness simply means being God conscious all the time. So I thought, wow, you know, and we were driving home and uh, we thought, okay, shall we do this? You know what it means in the 70s, become a Hari was just so radical. You know, it was just like unheard of. So I said, do we really want to do this? You know what it means. We're going to lose our friends. We're going to lose our families. We're going to just go down this path on our own. And we said, yeah, but if we're sincere to our search for truth, this is where we have to go. So we did. And sure enough, we lost our families. We lost our friends. <laughs> but we've been devotees for 40 years. We raised our children as devotees. Uh, my parents eventually came back to understanding that we were good people. They couldn't understand because at that stage in the 70s, long hair was the real trend. And no one buzzed up except Yul Brenner or someone like that, you know. And so we had like bald heads and uh, and the last thing I ever thought I would do would be dancing in the streets of Swanson Street with a bald head and a big skirt, big nappy and chanting away. And I love it. I loved it. I just thought it was so much fun and so spiritually uplifting that it changed my life. And that was 40, over 42, 43 years ago. Wow. Oh, that's an incredible story. <laughs> It's true, though, whenever you see um, Hare Krishna devotees, they always just look so happy and they're not allowed to drink alcohol or anything like that. So it's all like just a beautiful state of mind, which is something yeah, that I... It's, it's just a buzz. It's just an absolute <laughs> buzz. And, you know, it's only when you try it that you think, wow. See, most people, if they actually think, oh, I'd like to dance and chant, sing in public, they have to get sozzled first, you know. And once somebody's completely pickled, then they'll start dancing and everything. Oh, I've got to gear up. But with, with Krishna consciousness, it's just an automatic flow of energy that you just think, wow, this is fantastic. I met a politician one day recently. Uh, he's a friend of ours now. He's a politician here in Melbourne. And he said, you know, I always look at you guys from, from Parliament House when I see you guys chanting in it. I really feel I'd like to try that one time. So I said to him, no, well, you've got to come and try it. It's just so, such an uplifting thing. And he said, well, if I see the big guy over there chanting, I'm coming down to join you. He hasn't yet, but he might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. I guess we should probably get into uh, the main the main sure. event of the podcast. So is there, I, I'm assuming there is, but is there a main perspective of death and do you believe in an afterlife oh yeah very much so um yeah it's uh it's a very important thing to us you know um like other hindu sects other hindu organizations iskon accepts the doctrine of karma you've heard of karma obviously and reincarnation meaning that a person's action during their present life affects their future rebirth. So whatever you're doing in this lifetime will affect you in future lifetimes. So uh, the Hare Krishna's defined karma as the universal law of cause and effect. You do something, there's going to be a reaction. So good actions lead to good reactions, bad actions lead to bad reactions. 
Uh, and many of these uh, reactions uh, either affect or occur an individual in this lifetime. So that's that old John Lennon sort of song, instant karma is going to get you. Yet karma extends far beyond an individual's lifetime and it can extend into the next lifetime. So the Hare Krishna movement basically teaches that a person's karma determines their future rebirth. So if you, if you can, you know, if you say, for example, if you're, in, uh, they say actually from, from our scriptures that the very last thing that you think of prior to leaving this body is directing your next birth. Okay. So if, say, for example, a person had lived their life as an accountant, but were never really satisfied. And in the shower, they would sing and, and be really, you know, and they really thought, actually, I've got a bit of a talent for singing, but I've never had that opportunity to really excel. I, I didn't go on The Voice. I didn't go on Australia's Got Talent. I missed out. I could have been a somebody. And if that's the thought at the time of death, depending on desire and also karma, there's every likelihood that in the next lifetime, they'll get that opportunity to fulfill that desire. And then they become a, 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 a singer and pop star. And then in that life, they see it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And you see that so many times with personality celebrities, you know, they make it and then they think it wasn't really what I wanted. You know, maybe I should have been a ventriloquist or maybe I should have been a, <laughs> a doctor or maybe I should have been something else. And then they go into, and again, the next life. So it's all determined on what your desire is and what your karma is. If you've got extremely bad karma in that you haven't been a good person, uh, you could end up in a lower species of life. You might not even get a human form of life. Say, for example, if somebody is incredibly gluttonous, always hankering for something to eat, do, do anything to eat, you know, well, our body is just not equipped for that. A human body is just not equipped for that. So if your desire is, all you focus on is just eating, 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 then the best body for you is a body where you can eat any damn thing. And, and the best body for a person like that would be a pig's body. <laughs> and that happens. So a person becomes a pig. And then there is a process of evolution. It's a different evolution than what Darwin is putting out, but it's an evolution where you actually go from one species to the other species, to the next species, to the next species, until you come back to the human form of life, if you're in an animal body. So this human form of life is incredibly uh, auspicious. If you have a human form of life, it shouldn't be misused because you have the unique thing that the animals don't have. You have free will. You have an opportunity to choose. I can go this way or I can go that way. And ultimately, uh, you can um, transcend this material world completely and go back to the spiritual world where we belong. Because in essence, in true essence, we're not these material bodies. The body is constantly changing, all the time changing. Every seven years, every fiber, everything in your body has changed. You are not the same person you were seven years ago. And yet you remain the same. The you is consciousness. The you is the soul within the body. And the soul within the body is eternal and spiritual. And all that the soul is seeking is a spiritual conclusion. And that conclusion is service to God and going back to God. So our destination is, yeah, we want to go back to God, back to, back to the spiritual world. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I like that. Do you ever, like, I've been interviewing all sorts of people, like um, clairvoyance and yeah. all kinds of different smaller kind of new age religions, and they often talk about remembering past lives. Yeah. Does that happen often in the Hare Krishna movement? Not often. Uh, but it can happen. We fully understand that that can happen. Uh, you see it sometimes in younger people in particular. If you've studied that uh, past life experiences, it's usually in those years, in those early years, between one and two and three years old, 
that a person has glimpses or remembrances of their past life. What we see within, you know, like all of a sudden this five-year-old can play piano like Mozart, you know, and you think, where the hell is that coming from? So, I mean, I saw this guy the other day, this little kid, five-year-old kid, who was um, uh, on a Malter has got uh, on Facebook. Malter has got talent or something, and he could name all the different countries in the world from the from the map of the world. I mean, where does that come from? You know. So, in our society, yes, you can see that when a parent in Krishna consciousness actually has a child, they have a proclivity to want to do devotional things automatically. Automatically, they are attracted to the scriptures. Automatically, they start preaching. Automatically, they know how to play the instruments. They know how to lead the kirtan or chanting. And it's like, wow, how did you know that? You know. So it's really interesting how that happens sometimes. There are some, you know, that that make that a a, a study. You know, uh, in India in particular, trying to find out what your astrological past was and what were you before this lifetime. But in essence, it doesn't make any difference, really. I mean, the thing is, you're here now, you're stuck in this body, you've got this body because you desired it, and now let's see and develop your spirituality and get the hell out of here. <laughs> this is <laughs> this material world by the great saints and sages from all traditions, all traditions, have said this material world is like a toilet. We are supposed to do our business and get out. That's <laughs> Because and, and and besides that, it stinks. It's it's not a pleasant place. There are some aspects of pleasantness in this material world, and that's great. And you can understand God's creation. But if you like the beauty and the uh, the amazing creation in this material world, it is but a mere reflection of what the spiritual world is like. And that's. That's where we're heading. Sometimes you actually read about these people that have had near-death experiences, and they say, you know, that it's just an overwhelming feeling of love and connection to the Supreme. And it's amazing. Everybody says that from whatever tradition, you know. So we have to understand that God is not a hard taskmaster. He's not. A, when I say he, actually, it's both he and she. God has both male and female uh, aspects. So, but for, for want of a better word, we should say God is male, but he has also a female aspect. God is all loving. He wants nothing more than for us to come back to him and serve him and love him and be with him. You know, We have no understanding of how much God loves us. But some people have a glimpse of that when they have a near-death experience. I say I was just I was just experiencing an overwhelming love, so intense that I never wanted to come back to this place again. You know, so that that's there for all of us. Wow! So if you've got this really beautiful uh, something to look forward to in that respect, and just say your karma is bad, can it be so bad that you go lower than any kind of animal on the food chain? Yeah, is there can. a hell? There are hellish planets. Now, it's really difficult to sort of analyze from our perspective what these hellish planets are. For me, to be a worm in the ground would be a hellish existence. So in a sense, to take that birth in that. But there are other places as well where there are hellish regions. But unlike the Christian doctrine, which says that hell is eternal, it's not. Hell is a period of time you may have to because of someone like, say, a, 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 a mass rapist or a, a, a genocidal dictator or something may have to experience some pretty horrific things in a hellish planet. It's not necessarily for everyone like that. If a person in their life has made some attempt to become God conscious, to just try to understand a little bit about my relationship to God, then everything, everything is put on hold. Everything, every karmic thing, every uh, negative thing that they've done is put on hold and they wait the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, there are many different de departments in the spiritual world. They wait 
and see is this person going to progress to go closer to God or is he retracting? But most people in their life at one stage in their life starts to question, why am I here? Where am I headed? What is God? And then if you make an endeavor, then God will look after you. And then he'll give you an opportunity in the next life to further progress and further progress and further progress until you actually are sent percent in love with God, completely infatuated with God, where nothing in this material world is bringing you to, uh, is, is, is a want for you. All you want is to serve God. And that you can see in great traditions like Lord Jesus Christ, many saints and sages, St. Francis of Assisi, saints and sages in the Muslim tradition, in the Sufi tradition, Guru Nanak in the Sikh tradition. These were people that were sent percent in love with God. And nothing in this material world could compare to the love that they were feeling. And it's reciprocal. It's not a one-way thing. Oh, I'm praying, 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 praying. Actually, Krishna gives you, God will give you so much response that you go, wow. And sometimes it's so overwhelming that you think, I, I just don't deserve this. This is just so overpoweringly beautiful. So, yeah, that, that, that's, that's really our true uh, destination. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So just getting my head around it, so maybe when we see people that are really, really devoted to God, not extremists, but like really, really uh, devoted, does that mean perhaps they have had more reincarnations than like I, I'm not religious. I think I'm spiritual, like I'm questioning things constantly. Most young and- people in today's society are. They see the they see the corruptness at times within religions. They see the hypocrisy in religions, just like I was. I said, Oh, this is crazy stuff, you know? You're not following the teachings of Jesus at all. And you're not loving your fellow man, you're using them, you know. So many young people even today are not necessarily linked to a religion. They are spiritual in their own nature. Religion is a man-made thing. Spirituality is an eternal thing. I'm very much involved with interfaith. Part of my communication work is working with other faith traditions. You know, so and I understand that there is absolutely no difference between the different faith traditions. It all boils down to one thing, loving God and loving your fellow man. That's it. That's the essence of all the faith traditions. And then you've got all different permutations that come along with that, and they're man-made. They're all institutionalized, and old men make this decision, and you shouldn't do that, and if you do that, you're going to, you know, and it's a nonsense. Spirituality is our real essence, is our real so I can understand that young people today just don't have a, an inclination to go to a specific church. Be broad-minded. In the 21st century that we're living in now, interfaith, interfaith connections is going to be the dynamic force that brings humanity together. Of that I'm convinced, absolutely convinced, where all the faith traditions can sit together and worship God together with, with a, a respect with understanding, with knowledge. Oh, you worship my Lord, the, the, the individual that I love so much in that way? Wow, far out. Thank you. And you love in that way? And it's it's like that. And, and I experienced that firsthand when I worked with interfaith people. And I encouraged so many people, please get involved with interfaith. Learn about the Muslim tradition. Learn about the Baha'i tradition, the Sikh tradition. It is fascinating. And all of it boils down to love. Love God, love your fellow man. Love it. Beautiful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 
Well, let's let's talk about if you don't mind. Do the Harry does the Harry Krishna movement rather have any like specific funeral customs or ceremonies? Yeah, yeah, basically, um, much the same as other Hindu traditions, Vedic traditions. The Vedas are the oldest known scriptures. That's basically uh, Hinduism. Hinduism is an, is is the wrong word actually. Uh, it was a word that was attributed to the people that believed in the Vedas back when they were invaded. But anyway, it stuck. So, yeah, the Hindus, what they do is if a person passes away, they will go to, say, for example, if we're talking in the West, right, they will go to a a, a place where, the, like a morgue, where the body is bathed and it's anointed with water and then it is marked by different markings on the body denoting that the body is a temple of God that within our body we are residing the soul is residing but God from our scriptures we understand that God is so compassionate that alongside us he travels with us God travels with us so in the Vedic tradition we have Atma you probably heard of that word Atma that's us that's the soul that's consciousness and Paramatma is the witnessing aspect of God within our heart. So God is actually dwelling in our heart. And so we mark our body as a temple, even outside when we go to the temple, we mark our body with dust that's been collected from the, uh, from the sacred place where Krishna had his pastimes when he came to this planet. So 5,000 years ago, Krishna actually came to this planet and enacted his pastimes. The, was very instrumental in teaching uh, Bhagavad Gita. You may have heard of Bhagavad Gita, the scripture that is the Bible for the Hindus. So we mark our body and we'll mark the corpse with tilak, which is that sacred dust. Uh, then we also bathe the body in uh, Ganges water. You know, some of us have brought back Ganges water when we went to India, and you'll bathe them in that. And uh, sandalwood, turmeric, different condiments like that we, we will uh, anoint the body with. Then we dress the body in a new cloth, brand new clothing. Male or female, females will wear a beautiful sari. And then the body in India would be put on the funeral pyre, you know, f- for cremation. But here, uh, and then after the body is cremated, uh, that, that, Pyre is usually near a river, a sacred river, and in the in the uh, in the west, obviously we can't do that, so we we just go to the crematorium where the body is then cremated, and the Brahmin priest and the departed the, the, the parted person's family will uh, chant mantras and slokas from the Bhagavad Gita, like that. After the cremation, uh, the family collect the ashes. And they're then dispersed into holy water. So either if they're living in the West, say, for example, or living in Australia, which happens sometimes that the body, the ashes will be sent to India with a relative and then dispersed in a sacred river like the Ganges or the Jamuna or the Saraswati. If that's not possible here in Australia, we usually disperse the ashes in, say, the sea and they're spread in the sea like that so this we also see the sea as being very sacred and cleansing generally speaking uh, it's a very quick ceremony it's not a very long ceremony the mourners uh, sprinkle when you go to a session there again the priest is there the body is in a coffin and the gathering uh, the relatives and friends will uh, sprinkle flower petals on the body as a sign of honour and a respect for that person that's passed away. Basically, it's a, it's a question of simplicity, you know. It's not a very intense or prolonged sort of ceremony at all. Very quick. So that, that's that's basically the actual service that happens like that. Lovely. It sounds nice. I think a quick service for a funeral is probably... A good thing, really. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I've, I've got one tomorrow, actually. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Uh, I'm also a chaplain. I work in chaplaincy. Part of my communications work is also working as a chaplain for the Hindu community. And um, we have a cancer 
hospital here uh, called Peter Max. I don't know if you've heard of that. And uh, I had two people, two young devotees pass away last week, which was very, very sad in one sense. Yeah. One young woman, probably about your age, she was 25 years old, uh, young family, had just married. No, she hasn't had any children yet, but yeah, she passed away. And tomorrow is a funeral for a young man that I've been looking after, and he was 27, again, cancer, and uh, his funeral is tomorrow. Now, because of the restrictions, unfortunately, because of COVID-19, we're still not able, they're only allowed to have a certain number going to the funeral, so it's online, and uh, I'll be attending that online, but yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a strange time and especially with things like funerals. Well, I hope everything tomorrow goes smoothly. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, he was, the prior to his death, it's actually really miraculous when you see that. He was surrounded by people that loved him and were encouraging him to stay fixed on the understanding that you're not this material body, that there is something waiting for you which is a wonderful uh Wonderful event. It's not like it's it's really an interesting scenario, the whole thing of passing away. You know, people think even in the scriptures, in our scriptures, it says that as you leave this body, you will simultaneously practically straight away, you'll enter the body of another another body, another little body, which is to your desires. But that time span between leaving this body and entering the next body, because time is only relevant the time that we know is only relevant here in the material world. So that transition to another body could take a long, long time in uh, ethereal time. So just like, say, for example, when you're having a dream. So we have three bodies. We have this gross material body with the blood veins and everything. Then you have an astral body. And an astral body is your subtle body. And that subtle body, you use that when you dream. You leave this body and you go into different realms and you dream. So when you pass away, your gross body passes away, but your subtle body continues on to the next body. And so when it's in that state of flux between one body to the next body, that can be a really wonderful experience. And then you choose, again, on an astral sort of level, when you want to come back to resume your quest for searching for God. When you enter the body of your next mother, while you're in the body, you are praying to the Lord, my dear Lord, in this lifetime, I hope to achieve loving relationships with you, pure love to you. And they pray, please let me have that inspiration to love you in this lifetime. Unfortunately, at the time of birth, that consciousness or that remembrance is forgotten. There's an amnesia that takes over us. And you come out and then all the world of sensory enjoyment is again there. And right from the beginning, you start to be trained, you know. Oh, isn't he cute? Oh, look at him. He's such a cute baby. And the ego starts to be filled up. Yeah, I am actually a cute little baby, you know. And there it begins again. But that subtle desire to actually achieve God consciousness is there within each and every one of us. It's an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing, actually. Like I was... Uh, uh, reiterating to that young man that was passing away, there is nothing to be afraid of. Don't be afraid of death. It's just another stage. Just as your body has changed from boyhood to youth to old age, you know, your body is constantly changing. This is just another stage. Yes, it's sad in one sense because you're losing that association with your loved ones that you've connected with here. But you'll connect with them again at a different time and a different place. You know, but at the time, obviously, it's sad for us who are left here that haven't got their association anymore. But in the same token, know for sure that they are safe, they're being looked after, they're being loved, and they're making their choices as to where they want to go next. It's up to us. There's no hard taskmaster. It's not like, you know, you've got the old man with the beard saying, okay, you're in hell, you go over here. You know, it's not like that. It's completely a loving experience. There's nothing to fear unless <laughs> you've been a naughty person, a very naughty person, and you've rejected God altogether. That's really, that's a pity. 
So I, my, my next question, uh, and it's something that I ask everyone is, um, are you afraid of dying? But I, you've just covered that beautifully. Can I ask you, what would you say? So I have people close to me um, that say, look, Monica, when you die, it's like before you were born, it's nothing, which it, it's like an ego thing because like, I I guess it's scary to think that we don't have a consciousness anymore because we are afraid of the unknown. But what would you say to counteract that the the idea that you're worm food and that's it? <laughs> All right, so it's the atheist sort of thing. At the moment, atheism is a, actually it's not actually. It's really interesting to note the atheist philosophy was on the rise from the 70s, 80s and 90s. Now it's on the decline. You know, with the advent of quantum physics and more understanding about how everything is, there's an intellectual, uh, everything is directed by some form of intelligence. It's not that things just happen randomly. And anybody with an ounce of real understanding can see that if I try to do something and make something, I, it, inquire, it requires intelligence. So similarly, you see this world, and it's it's amazing vista, and it's amazing um, aspects. You know, if you see the growth of a child, if you see the growth of a tree, if you see the the, the fact that the sun is constantly every day coming at exactly the right time, providing the warmth for us to grow vegetables, that the water comes. It is ludicrous to think that all this came by chance. So quantum physics is now proving that there is an, a, an intelligence behind everything, which is what the sages and the teachings of all the different faith traditions have been saying for time immemorial. So to think that there is nothing is completely ludicrous. Even when you go to sleep at nighttime, it's not nothing. There's there, there's thoughts there, there's dreams there. And the main thing is, is that because mainly people have that concept of emptiness because they don't experience it personally, that there is something beyond. That's why there's such an increase with people learning to meditate. When you meditate, you actually start to connect with that soul within and you have an experience which has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with this body. And you think, wow, and that never leaves. You never leave that. And when you pass away, that spark, that understanding, that realization continues on. And, and, and there's so much historical data that, you know, I, I'm sometimes flabbergasted that people could have this sort of an understanding. When you see these sages and saints from the past, they weren't dingbats. They weren't idiots. They were incredibly intelligent people. And they scrutinized material creation and understood that there is a divine if there is a divine, then that divine is, is a loving divine. And our connection with him, and, and again I say it is not just male, it is both male and female aspects. Our connection to that wonderful supreme uh, uh, personality is, is just overwhelming. And it's an experience that a person can have in this lifetime. You know, it's it's not like we're just saying and basing everything on faith. Absolutely not. You know, we the proof is in the pudding. You know, like if a person sort of says, you know, um, an atheist says, oh, no, it's all just phantasmagoria and stuff, we say to them, look, try it. Try it for six months. Try it for a year, just chanting God's name, chant Hare Krishna. You know, you don't have to change anything about yourself. You keep on doing whatever you're doing, but just apply that. And all of a sudden they say, wow, if you make a serious effort, you'll experience that divinity within yourself and you'll experience that connection with God and things change. It really does. Okay. I'm going to be playing this back to my dad, Bakta. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is he an <laughs> I don't know if he calls himself a probably is. Maybe I think, yeah, yeah. No, I don't no, want to no, label it. Something there, I'm not, I'm not, but I don't really care. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah kind of. Now is, is living now. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. interesting, you know. 
they did a, they did many many studies of uh, the way an atheist lives their life and how a theist lived their life. A theist is far more happy, far more content, far more grateful, but an atheist is unhappy, is frightened, is scared, is is, is melancholy because they have no knowledge whatsoever and they're relying on their own own, own uh, knowledge. So it's like, gosh, you know, it's not that hard. It's And it's not like you have, and again, I know that people are sort of disillusioned by doctrines and religions and they've caused war and they've caused oppression of women and they've caused uh, hatred for homosexuals and LGBTQI people and all these kind of things. And people say, I don't want religion. I agree with you. I don't want that either. But spirituality is a different thing. Real spirituality is that connection with God. And that's what drove us to Krishna consciousness. That was the, and they, again, the words of that wise person, if you're really searching after the essence of truth of what Jesus is teaching, and what Jesus is teaching is the same basic truth that Muhammad was teaching, that Lord Buddha was teaching, then you have to follow this path because this is the purest path. And after 40 years, I can't dispute it. I'm feeling, you know, such a different person. I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, I mean, we can sort of say, well, Krishna consciousness is like the jar of honey, you know? And you say, well, there's the jar of honey. You can't lick the jar and experience that within. You have to actually dip your finger in and taste the honey to get the sweetness. So you actually have to take to the process and then you start to get the, the taste. And that's there. You have to try it. See what happens. We're not forcing you. You do it in your own time. We have people, you know, that are closet Hare Krishnas. You know, they chant a little bit at home. They, they, they don't go and chant in the streets. They, and we try and make it also appealing to people of all walks of life. It's not necessarily that you have to get dressed up in robes or you have to dress, shave your head or do anything of that kind of stuff. That's not important. That, again, is just tradition and culture and all that kind of stuff. The essence is the spiritual teaching and the practice of connecting with God, meditating on God's holy name. That's it. It's as simple as that. Well, I was going to ask you um, if you had any tips for people that are afraid of dying, but I feel like you've kind of covered it all, to be honest. you um, Yeah, you, you speak about it really beautifully, very comforting. I feel really, and I feel like this after a lot of the conversations, when people are passionate and um, know their stuff, it, it's kind of like a, I don't know, I feel very comfortable with the idea of dying at the moment so thank you very much Bakta. <laughs> I mean you know it's not like fear is a state of mind so yeah devotees may also fear at times that's understandable you know but we understand that Krishna will help at that time as well so I had a tip for you anyway so my tip is as soon as one thinks he is anything other than an eternal servant of the supreme lord he immediately falls into a situation of intense fearfulness. The material world is meant to be a, a fearful place. The material world is meant to be a fearful place for its purpose is to awaken us to our original constitutional position of spiritual life. We are not these material bodies. We are spiritual entities. When one surrenders to Krishna in pure love, when one surrenders to God in pure love, Material fearfulness goes far, far away. Material fear, therefore, has no place within the spiritual world. The spiritual world is called Vaikuntha. Vaikuntha means no anxiety, no fear. One enters the spiritual world every time one chants the holy name of God. So the name of God and God are non-different. As soon as you chant the name of God, God is there on your tongue. In all, not only is God there, but his realm is there. So, you know, like you had uh, Lord Jesus Christ when he would pray. He, his, the word that he used for God was Abba. Abba means, in, in Aramaic, means daddy. 
daddy, not father, not, you know, oh, Lord of the Supreme or everything. He saw God as his daddy. Daddy, please help me. I'm stuck here in this material world. That's the perfect Krishna consciousness. That's perfect love. And Krishna is like that. So when we chant in the Hare Krishna movement, we chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. We are invoking that connection with God. My dear God, my loving God, dear Hara, oh energy, oh female aspect of God, please help me to love God more. That's, I, I, you know, I mean, um, I can talk until the cows come home about Krishna consciousness, but really the proof is in the pudding. Thank you so much for speaking with me. This has been so, so interesting. This has been this hour has just flown by. I just checked. Wow, that's pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. It's a pleasure talking to you. It was really good. Oh, it was so lovely to meet you. I eh? I feel like I've known you for years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guess what? You might have been in a past life. <laughs> <laughs> you made it to the end. Thank you so much for sticking around and for listening. Like all these people I've been lucky enough to chat with, I could have picked Buckter's brains for hours, which I did a bit and had to cut out a whole bunch, unfortunately, but I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I hope you did too. And if you did, a rating and a review would go a long way. Like I said last week, I'm an independent creator, so any love at all is always much appreciated. Same goes for constructive criticism. Also, if you want to get in touch or read more about the Hare Krishna movement, I've popped all the info in the show notes. Now, next week, I'll be speaking with the ever so lovely Gay Robinson. She's the co-leader of the White Eagle Lodge in Australasia. I had never heard of this movement, so I found it so fascinating. That's coming up next week. Until then, I hope you have an absolutely wonderful seven days ahead of you. We're going to end the episode today with a little something from Bhakta. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.